Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to episode 26 of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. This week's show is going to be a little bit different. Um, so uh, first off, Aaron, glad to have you back at the show. It's been a little while. Hope you remember what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. This has been my first one in a bit, and I apologize for that. It's kind of end of year, end of project craziness, uh, but but certainly happy to be back. Thank you. Good. So, you know, as we look out at our industry at some of the biggest, fastest growing companies, so HP, IBM, Oracle, Facebook, um, interesting phenomenon going on now. You've got, you've got women now in the number one or number two position. So Meg Whitman at HP, Ginny Rometty over at IBM, uh, Safra Katz at Oracle, Sheryl Sandberg at, at Facebook. So this has happened in other industries where you've had, uh, you know, strong women leaders running important companies within the industry, but this is sort of unique within the IT industry, at least to where we're starting to see this this happen in, in more numbers. So, you know, Aaron and I were talking about this, and, you know, not only do we try and have variety in the show, but both Aaron and I are fathers of daughters, so we're uh, very cognizant of, you know, what it means to, to try and bring up uh, intelligent girls, girls that are curious about things. And so what we thought we'd do at this show is bring on some women that are you know not only incredibly bright, but making a mark in the IT industry. Let's, we wanted to talk about this a little bit. So with today's show, we've got three women who are doing some pretty very, very interesting things in the IT world um, and doing it from different angles. So uh, first off, we've got Regine Skillern, uh, Regine Skillern, excuse me, uh, Director of Cloud Computing, Marketing, and Intel. Hey, Regine, how are you? Hey, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Uh, we've got Vanessa Alvarez, uh, analyst with Forrester. How are you, Vanessa? Welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be back. And we've got Seema Jathani, uh, Director of Product Management, recently changed over to Instratus, was previously at IBM. Uh, Seema, how are you today? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on the show. You're welcome. So we'll uh, we'll tell folks up front. Uh, you're you're sort of fighting some some respiratory stuff. So if you're uh, a little um, a little under the weather or sound under the weather, uh, apologies. Uh, we will try and keep this as uh, less difficult for you to to jump in and help out. But uh, thank you all for being on the show today. So hey, and Brian, this is yeah. got got one addition as well. A, a future uh, w- woman in technology here. My daughter Claire Delp, who's a uh, She's home from school, sick today, and she wanted to say hey. So say hey, Claire. Hi. Hey. <laughs> so we've all ages and all time zones represented. Excellent. Very good. We were talking about this. I'm wondering, and I'll throw this out to everybody. Do you guys, you know, for anybody, would you guys want to offer a theory on why we're we're sort of seeing this shift happen within technology, within technology leadership? What's what's going on today that's been different than five years ago, ten years ago? I can kick it off if you'd like. This yeah. Is I, I think there's a number of different things happening today. I think in the past, technology has been very male-dominated because of the fact that technology has been something that's just technology for technology's sake, right? Mm-hmm. So when you think about some of the technical um, leaders in the past, they've really come from technology backgrounds, right? Computer science, you know, math, and the like. And so I think that that area for the most part has always been male dominated. And today I think the shift that we're seeing is that we're seeing the convergence of business and IT, you know, and technology really not for technology's sake anymore, but for how it enables the business, right? And so when you take a look at it from that perspective, I feel that we have a, a, 
a number of women who are not only focused in technology, uh, although I'm, I'm sure we're seeing a, a growing number of women in, in computer science and engineering, but I think we're seeing an even bigger number of women focusing on the business value of what technology brings. And so I think that's really one reason as to why we're seeing a growing, a growing number of women. Not as much as I'd like to see, but sure, um, sure. but certainly growing. Okay. Anybody else with thoughts or ideas? So I think, you know, to build on where Vanessa was going, the you know, it's a, it's a multi-year process, multi-decade process to get women um, in, into technology, right? And we've seen um, women come up through the business ranks or, uh, you know, multiple disciplines and in influencing business and taking over some of these highly technology-focused highly technology focused companies. But what we've also seen is just over the past couple decades, putting a, a major emphasis on women getting technology degrees and, um, you know, and the learning. And I think we're finally seeing some of those women, too, come up through uh, a maturity in their career where they've made kind of a conscious decision to apply themselves to these companies. You know, I know myself, I've been with Intel over 18 years and it was a, you know, if you'd asked me 18 years ago, would I stay with a technology company that long? I I don't think I considered it, but once I got into the field and realized I could use my degree and move up, um, it became a very exciting place in watching this evolution. But it takes that time for... Um, to see women to rise to these ranks and I think it's incredible now to see um, like you said take some of these major companies some of the largest the largest technology companies in the world uh, led by women and and I think that's going to change uh, continue to evolve as more women one see it as a role model model and two continue to invest into t technology education okay Seema you were jumping in there for a second yeah, I was saying that a lot of effort has been going into mentoring women, not only by the women in the technology field, but also by the men in that area. And so uh, when I was at IBM for several years, I saw, you know, a lot of emphasis being put into giving the, the right opportunity, not giving special treatment, but you know, making sure that the opportunities are available if the women choose to pursue the technology aspect in their career. So over time, uh, you know, through mentorship and opportunities being made available, I have seen several women rise up in their career um, and uh, hold uh, good leadership positions. That's good. I think I think what you what you guys are saying is that it's. I mean, obviously, this is an evolution. It didn't just happen overnight. Um, although you know we are seeing everybody kind of coming together in, in in some of these leadership things. You know, the the other point that I think that was interesting that Vanessa brought up is is we're moving from you know very engineering centric. So you know, Regine at, at Intel, it, it's it's got to be incredibly, or at least you know had been for a long time, incredibly engineering centric, chip level design. And um, but I, you know, the other thing that sort of struck me as I was doing some research on this is is I think in terms of the role of technology I think we're starting to see technology become a little more relationship centric whether it's around you know the things we do with social media and social technologies or you know like you mentioned the the, the business drivers are more front and center where it's you know who do I trust as a company who do I trust to help me sort of lead some things and 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 there's there's some value there in having 
different perspectives, and obviously, um, you know, women have a, uh, you know, kind of a stronger sense of, of you know, what are the nuances in, in terms of making relationships work, or, or how to how to drive that. Is that do you see any validity to that in terms of, you know, the, the change in business, um, you know, being driven by by the technology and vice versa? You know, there was a recent study I read from, it was a Harvard Business Review, right, Mm -hmm. that talked about the most successful companies do have a percentage of women at the helm, because traditionally, you know, if you take some of the classic stereotypes, right, men may make uh, more rash decisions or more risk decisions or more aggressive decisions, and they were talking about that women bring in um, not only, uh, you know, a broad perspective, right, and I like this, I like this thread we're on between the merging of business and technology and that perspective that gets brought in get brought in but also their emotional approach to it they might make some different decisions than men so i think it was a really interesting data point too that says hey look sometimes some of those traits that we've maybe thought wouldn't wouldn't make women as successful in the business place are actually what are making companies successful and then you combine that with where Vanessa was going where you're going with this business perspective or entrepreneurial perspective or financial perspective it just makes an incredible combination absolutely I think there's you know it's not just technology it's technology with multiple disciplines that come along with it right and I think that's really, um, you know, I don't know if it's really just necessarily women that have it, but it's women who are bringing it to the table today. And, you know, as Regine said, this has been an ongoing, you know, decade-long evolution, and it's only, um, you know, men have dominated the field for so long because they've been so technology-focused as opposed to today, um, where we see women dominating because of the multiple disciplines that they bring to the table okay well cool so so the last thing i i really i wanted to do with this show was sort of turn it into one that was just about you know what's what's unique about women or how do we dispel stereotypes or you know why isn't there you know why isn't there a greater percentage i think there's you know there's there's been enough kind of discussion about you know is it right is it wrong we're not going to solve that here what i what i the other thing i wanted to do was um you guys are all all three of you are involved in sort of very, very interesting cloud computing related activities. And so I'm, I'm hoping we can kind of dive in a little bit to what you guys are doing, highlight what you're doing. Um, and then maybe towards the end, we can come back and talk about, uh, you know, who's inspiring you, what can, you know, what can other women get involved with? So uh, if you don't mind, I'd love to jump into some of the things that you guys are working on today. So Seema and Vanessa, I'm going to start with you guys for, for a couple of reasons. Um, you're both involved with an organization called Cloud Now or Cloud Network of Women, which is, um, you know, focused on using technology for for overall professional development of women. Um, I know the two of you have been involved. You know, you've, you've done some online interviews. Can you guys talk about what that organization is, what you're doing to help um, kind of uh, make make uh, technology be more prevalent in in advertising, not advertising, but promoting what you do, but but how that organization is is helping people. I'll I'll start, and then Vanessa can can join me. So uh, the organization was start, started by Edison, and um, her goal was to have a platform for women uh, in the cloud uh, space who are you know already in the cloud space and doing something in that area, um, but not just a networking organization you know we are you know there's several goals that we want to achieve is that you know first is we we try to do research we um 
we uh, write articles and um, uh, go to various conferences. Basically, her goal is to provide a platform where women can um, display that or you know talk about cloud and their expertise in that area. So uh, I am involved in the organization as. Um, the lead of the technical special interest groups and we have other special interest groups for example security uh, in 2012 um, you know we may end up forming more interest groups or uh, we you know decide that okay this is what we're go- these are enough for this year yes yeah, so I, I am very happy to be a, a part of this organization I think it's one that is very much needed today. Um, there's several women's organizations in, in technology out there right now, but I think uh, what really led me to be a part of this one <clears throat> was that it not only focused on the role of women uh, in technology, but really about the content and the substance that they bring. Right. So when we've had um, articles on the on the site. It really highlights where the the expertise of these women are, um, and, and it's not necessarily just about talking about you know not having enough representation in tech, in the technology world, but it's really about highlighting the areas that we focus on and highlighting some of the challenges that we're seeing in cloud computing today. So that's really what pushed me to to be a part of this organization and and excited to be representing at some of the conferences next year uh, really focusing on the part the role that women will be playing going forward in the technology world okay so it's 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 highlighting obviously it's got a networking function but it's a it's it's research it's 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 showcasing leadership it's showcasing opportunities for for people to look into new areas together you know so you realize there's a group of people out there with common interest um, so that's very, very cool. Regine, I want to jump over to you for a second. Um, you're leading Intel's involvement in the Open Data Center Alliance. Big organizational attempt to take on a really big challenge, you know, drive standards in cloud computing, best practices, and, and all this is being driven by really large companies, both enterprise types companies, service provider companies. Can you give us a sense of, of how that effort's going, how you're involved, how Intel's involved, but more so, you know, just what's happening in that space? Uh, it, it, it sounds very, very exciting in terms of how you're trying to bring together all this, uh, you know, business need with, with trying to align technology to it. Yeah, I would love to talk about it because the Open Data Center Alliance is at a a really interesting position or time in their uh, development. They're one year in. And this organization, as you mentioned, is now over 300 of some of the world's largest enterprise IT and service provider IT who are building cloud. So it really represents the uh, the building side of cloud, the consumption side, the buy side. And Intel's role... Um, you know, two years ago, uh, people were talking about the need for more standards, the need for open, multi-vendor interoperable solutions in the cloud. Everybody was trying to solve it independently with their solution provider or vendor community. And we heard these discussions, and we heard a lot of like-minded, every you know, companies from different parts of the world, companies from different vertical industries at different sizes, but you started talking to them, and they were all talking about the same things and solving the same challenges. And we helped introduce a group of like-minded individuals and also Intel as technical advisor, we 
led a lot of industry initiative and SIG groups um, over the past four decades, so we have experience in this area. Okay. We came to we, we brought them together, and it started as just 10 steering committee members, the likes of Deutsche Bank, uh, Disney, Marriott, uh, Terramark, uh, BMW, right, big companies, right. and now it's grown to this uh, – 300, uh, over 300 members and uh, some of the largest uh, OEMs and ISVs as well. And so the the output of what those guys are, all those people are doing is it's, um, they're they're creating, not so much, they're not a standards body, right? But they are trying no. to create their, like guidance back towards vendors, back towards the open source community as to where they'd like to see consistency. Yep. They are saying for my IT environment, these are the requirements that I need over the next one to five plus years. And by setting these environments, they, they do it through usage models. They're vendor agnostic, but they, they give a roadmap for what solutions need to be delivered or what standards need to be developed. So their goal isn't to create standards, but to go work with um, those organizations already developing standards to either uh, accelerate those in motion or to fill in gaps, as well as working with the vendor community to do the same. One of the things that I like about the Open Data Center Alliance is that, for the most part, you see a lot of organizations out there today, particularly around standards, that are very vendor-led. And if anything, what I like about ODCA is that it has enterprise end users, right, contributing to this discussion, which I think at the end of the day is really where standards should be coming from. Obviously, it's a collaborative uh, initiative, but I think it should be end user led and not so much, you know, an entire organization of vendors. Okay. Good, good point because, you know, even as a technical advisor, uh, we don't get a vote. I mean, it's really funny. I can, I've can i sat through a lot of meetings, and I'm not allowed to really <laughs> represent an Intel opinion or vote. Um, it is truly driven by the board of directors and uh, a pure enterprise focus. That's very interesting and unique. Follow-up to that is if, if you are a vendor or you're leading one of the, say, open source projects of some sort, how do they engage with it? Is it simply... You know, here's kind of our recommendations and standards from ODCA. Please develop to that, or is there a way for them to, to for 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 vendors or vendor panels of vendors to sort of understand not only what's been written but the nuances behind it? What's the, what? How does that interaction expand um, between the two sides? Yeah, it's very collaborative. Um, right now, I you know, there's about 14 um, vendors who join the solution provider community, and um, those vendors represent. 90 plus percent of the virtualization market, two thirds of the major hardware players out there, um, leading management, network, and storage vendors. And what those do by participating in the solution provider community, they get involved directly in the work groups. Uh, they contribute directly to the usage model development. They help uh, the work groups make sure that they're implementable. Um, practical, maybe address gaps or challenges they haven't thought of yet. So it's a very collaborative process and um, and you're going to see a lot more of it going into 2012 because now that the Open Data Center Alliance is a year out and they've released a lot of these requirements, their 2012 focus really is on turning these into practical solutions and getting them adopted into enterprise and service providers. So the vendors obviously are pivotal in this role. Okay, and that'll be, you'll see more of that kind of exploding in 2012? Absolutely. Um, I want to throw this one out as, as well, and I'm kind of thinking about this as a, as a follow-on. Um, I've had the opportunity to do some things with, with Regine's organization at Intel, and, and one of the questions that came up in a 
conversation I was having with them at, at VMworld was, you know, the difference between uh, cloud in, say, North America or maybe some of the developed countries. And, and I know, uh, Regina, I know you were over in China recently. Uh, Vanessa, I know you get a chance to talk to customers from all over the world and, and, and Seema, you as well. And what, what are you guys seeing as the difference between, say, the traditional markets or the U.S. market, North American, and, and over in China? How much is, what's, what's different there in terms of cloud computing, in terms of demands they have, and you know, how it ties back to things like standards, or, or even, you know, we'll t- maybe we'll talk about big data here uh, with Vanessa's background. What's, what's different in the rest of the world that you guys are hearing? Um, you know what I find interesting is, once again, there's a, uh, especially when you contrast like the U.S. and China, very different, but very similar. Um, what I think a lot of people don't know is some of the world's largest uh, public cloud you know, in the world are in China, right? Uh, China has Tencent, which is their Facebook, actually has more users online than Facebook does. But we, we all think of Facebook as the world's largest social media cloud. Um, they have their own search company. They have their own Amazon equivalent. And these companies are huge with sometimes 2 to 3x the growth rate of even the largest U.S. cloud providers. And so from a technology perspective, um, they're very advanced and forward. And they're solving, once again, a lot of these uh, same problems. And there's been some incredible now collaboration between the U.S., the, the largest cloud service providers in the U.S. and the largest cloud service providers in China. I think where we differ, though, is on when it starts going beyond those public cloud providers into the enterprise. There just isn't as much, from my opinion, uh, enterprise adoption of, of or private cloud build-out yet in China as there is as, as the focus among the, you know, you start to look at FSI or healthcare, and, and a lot of these companies are looking at cloud as a key enabler. So very similar and very different. I'm actually um, going over to Europe next week and have been working on uh, some of my presentations because there's a, a, a lot of interest around cloud storage, um, for example, and also a lot of interest around uh, what does a hybrid architecture look like for enterprises over in, uh, in France, which is where I'll be going. Uh, and I think one of the things that we see is that there are similarities for the U.S. market in terms of you know, there's there is a lot of interest. They may not be as far along as some of our forward-thinking enterprises are, but they're certainly starting to make some uh, some decisions around what they should be doing and how they should go about it. So, one of the things that I've noticed that differs <clears throat> entirely from the U.S. are sort of the regulatory compliance issues around data, because when you think about it, the U.S., if you need data to stay within your local region, which would be the U.S., then you can do that. But in France and in Italy and in Western Europe overall, or in Europe overall, it's it's challenging because a lot of the different countries have different regulatory issues and have compliance uh, requirements. And so getting them all on board or really understanding where the data is going to be and where they'll be accessing their resources from is a challenge still for a lot of them and something that we don't re- really necessarily experience here. Right. They're, they're sort of like the, the 50 U.S. states, except they're all different rules, different regulations. And, and with, the, with the economic stuff going on in Europe, with it potentially blowing up or changing it, all that may become more and more difficult. So it's good stuff, exactly. for, pe- good stuff for people to be thinking about in terms of you know, where you're going to run your applications, who, you, who you're going to partner with, uh, yeah. how transparent they're going to be. 
And the thing, I think one of the bigger challenges is that service providers, so, you know, a U.S. service provider can have a data center in France, can have one in Italy, and in, in, in one in the U.S., and let's say the uh, French enterprise wants to use this particular service provider, they really have to clarify where their data is going to be, right? And I'm not sure if U.S. service providers are really, or just cloud service providers in general, are really, I don't know if aware, but are really clear about what kind of SLAs they deliver in terms of where your data is located. And okay. I think there's still a lot of gray area around that. Okay. Well, that's actually kind of a, a nice uh, lead-in or plug for something that Aaron and I are going to do probably after the new year. We're, uh, we've, uh, we've got a, uh, an attorney, well, a lawyer, who with, with expertise in um, sort of cloud computing, but also how that relates to international laws is going to come on uh, probably after the first of the year. Um, so mm-hmm. if people are listening to this and they start having questions and they say, hey, I'm a multinational or I have to do business in different parts of the world, right. um, start, start getting your questions ready. We'll um, send them over to us and we'll make sure we get them covered here after the new year. Let's let's talk for a second um, about about the other big buzzword these days, which is big data, or the other big buzz phrase. Uh, mm-hmm. Vanessa, you had a chance to speak. You had a you know fairly large speaking opportunity at, at Hadoop World. Um, talk about what's going on in that space beyond the buzzwords. What's what problems is it solving? How much do people understand it? You know, are we kind of in a reasonable way, or is 2012 the year when everybody starts kind of figuring out at least what it is and why it makes sense to them? Yeah, I did have an opportunity to speak at Hadoop World, and it was really interesting because, you know, I think a lot of this area has been dominated by the large web-scale companies, so Zynga, uh, you know, Netflix, and, and the like. And so I think those environments are very well versed in being able to handle big data. This is sort of where they grew up, Right. And what I think the challenge is today is traditional enterprises who are sitting on legacy infrastructure who have done IT a certain way you know, for a long time are very challenged today with being able to all of a sudden re-architect their infrastructure to be able to handle big data. And is it a solving a problem? I think to some extent it is, right? There's a ton of new data coming online that a lot of enterprises today want to leverage for their competitive advantage, right? And so this new type of data is very valuable for enterprises in terms of the business. However, being able to store this data, process it, analyze it, it requires a new type of architecture, and it's something that a lot of traditional IT environments don't really understand yet. Um, so when you have new techniques like Hadoop, it, it becomes you know a challenge for them to learn something new. I'm I'm sure we we all know that you know IT is challenged today with you know having the right skills in place to to be able to learn all these new technologies. What I do think will happen is that it'll be a combination of things. I think in 2012, enterprises have woken up to this new data that they can leverage. And so the business is really going to push IT to implement the right technologies in place to be able to to analyze and process all of this data. And so it's going to require a whole new skill set. I think we've seen, you know, the term data scientist. And I think that, you know, that role encompasses a number of different areas within a business, not only IT and not only the business, but I think it, 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 it 
covers both sides. And that's something that I really like to see going forward. Rachin, help me with this. What's what's Intel's role in big data? I mean, typically, people think of Intel as as you know always being on the leading edge for big CPU-driven applications. The next CPU, you guys are doing a few different things. Obviously, there's a there's a piece that Intel's involved with with this open compute platform, which maybe helps drive the cost down. I know there's been discussion in the industry about trying to to do lower power uh, CPUs, but what you know. From your perspective, if somebody asks you, what's what? Where does Intel play in this? What's what's your role? And where to start, really? Because yeah. um, in the data center, we we look at it from multiple angles. There's the scale up side of big data and and how you manage uh, the large databases and our you know kind of coming from our mission critical co- product line. Okay. Then there's the scale out view of it and some of these emerging workloads like uh, workloads like Hadoop, right? That um, may do well in a distributed environment with maybe lower performance but more uh, more scalable CPU environments with different IO or, or, or other platform requirements. Um, so our goal obviously in the data center is to make sure that whatever the use is that our silicon technology has been des- been designed for it for the outset. So we're doing a lot of forward planning as well as a lot of software optimization and characterization. And um, our microserver platform was really you know, designed into the segment saying, hey, some applications will do better with kind of this highly dense one socket environment, shared infrastructure to reduce power and cost, um, but still giving you a, a, a lot of node power um, across these one socket environments. So you know, that's one end, but also Intel's more than a data center company. Most people know us for what we enable in uh, laptops and mobile devices, and we're going to be in, you know, your car, your tablet, your smartphone, um, digital signage, a vending machine, right? And all of these uh, intelligent devices in the world are collecting data or generating data. And it's that end-to-end data analytics opportunity that I think uh, we're really excited about. And not just from a business perspective, but man, it can it can change the world. It can deliver uh, medical information to remote countries or you know remote villages via kiosks, and it can deliver um, you know education to more environments. And this kind of a uh, this kind of cloud and end-to-end analytics and and uh, big data opportunities, the analytics side of it, is just really exciting, I think, and transformative. One of the things that I wanted to add on to, to that as well, you know, I think the bigger, um, one of the bigger issues right now facing a lot of our clients is the fact that because they have this legacy infrastructure in place and they're looking to leverage it, how can they tie their infrastructure to, you know, to something that, could support a Hadoop cluster, right? So I think it's the argument between, you know, does it require commodity infrastructure or does it require specialized hardware? And I think today, really, a lot of enterprises who are sitting on on their infrastructure want to be able to leverage that, um, even if they are going down the road of, you know, implementing commodity infrastructure for a lot of their, for a lot of the, you know, for a lot of the Hadoop workloads. They still want to be able to leverage the existing infrastructure, and so that's really a challenge. And I think there's a lot of, you know, management companies out there today who are taking a look at this and, and helping, you know, enterprises to understand how they can le- what they should be leveraging specialized infrastructure for, and what they should be leveraging commodity infrastructure for. 
Uh, I'm going to wrap this up on on sort of two questions for for everybody and and answer whichever one you you feel comfortable answering. So you know we we talked early on about where women in technology were going, the leadership they're going. Obviously, the three of you are doing very very interesting things, but there's a whole bunch of of other women that that you guys network with that people know. Who who are you? Do you sort of look up to in terms of helping you say that's the type of you know, kind of role model, whether it's in the industry or outside? The- um, other than the ladies on the call, who I do look up to um, as role models, <clears throat> I have to say that I am very impressed by the Marissa Mayer from Google. Um, she is something that embodies both the technology side, you know, so her background is obviously uh, in technology, and but she also encompasses the feminine side of being a woman in technology. And so I think for me, when I look at future role models and and hopefully, you know, we see more girls joining the technology ranks, this is really the combination that I'd like to see. Uh, you know, I think for a long time, technology has has held a stigma of people in technology being geeks. And I don't know if that's necessarily the case anymore. I think there's, you know, women out in the field today who are representing from both a technology side as well as, as a, a feminine side. Regina or Seema? You know, my company, I'm, I'm also pleased, is following in the footsteps of some of the ones you mentioned early in the conversation. And we have, re- I have really amazing role models within my company. Our CIO, Diane Bryant, and our CMO, uh, Deborah Conrad, are, are women that I've been following my two-decade career, and they've been there before me. And these women are intelligent, accomplished, they've earned their positions, but they're also charismatic and dynamic and incredible speakers and passionate about, you know, the business and um, and our company and our people. And both of them happen to be mothers. And, you know, they you I kind of look at them and just go, geez, they, you know, <laughs> how do you do it all? But, um, you know, those are two women I'm watching really closely, and I'm, I'm proud of them. I'm proud that they represent our company, and I'm trying to be, you know, trying to look and see how they do it and make it all work. Seema, what about you? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I really, uh, I think I'm, I'm lucky to, to know such wonderful women as Vanessa and Regine. Uh, Regine's a mother with twins, and, and uh, I, I had a conversation with her earlier this year and you know we were talking about kids and uh, she, she was like you know you can have a great career but even you know if you have twins and stuff <laughs> and, and Vanessa with you know her vision plan and, and focus um, uh, mantra that she has uh, I also have I, I'm, I think I'm lucky to know several you know accomplished women uh, during my career at, at, at IBM uh, Lauren States who's the CTO for cloud at IBM several other technical uh, leaders within IBM Rosalind Radcliffe for example okay very cool Aaron uh, you want to give Claire you want to give uh, Claire the last word what's what's cool for seven eight nine ten year old girls uh, with computers these days what does she think is fun well she actually just ran down the hall ah, okay she's been she's been so she does a lot of gymnastics and she actually was doing gymnastics down the hall so I'm starting to question how sick she really is at this point <laughs> um, well <laughs> I think somebody may have gotten a free day off from school but but if she makes it back between now and when we actually get to the end of this podcast I'll bring her back on. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, since you're now officially no longer going to win Parent of the Year Award, do you want to take us home and finish the show up? 
Sure, absolutely. So, first of all, for all of the guests, Vanessa, Regine, um, and Seema, where, where can people find out more about you? Is there uh, blogs, Twitter? Uh, where, where can people find out more about what you're doing and, and what you're following? So, I have a, have my own blog, uh, it, and I also write on Cloud Ave. Uh, I'm on Twitter as well as Seema J and on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn as Seema Jatani. I have a blog at blogs.forester.com. I am Vanessa Alvarez1 on Twitter and can also be found on LinkedIn at Vanessa Alvarez. This is going to sound like a repeat, and um, but I'm not as consistent of a blogger, but you'll find them on intel.com and even one on CloudApp. <laughs> but the uh, best way to hunt me down is contact me at Twitter, at Regine S. And uh, the tricky part is spelling my name, but um, I'm just Regine S. And then I'm also on LinkedIn. Very cool. Thank you. All right. You can follow us on Twitter at thecloudcastnet. Or reach us at thecloudcast.net, where you'll find links to the show and show notes. You can leave us a comment, send us an email, or details on how to stream us on Stitcher. And Claire is now back. Say goodbye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> Bye, Claire. Bye. <laughs> Bye. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye.